Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and it's a special time of the year at Field Goals where we get to hand out some, just some incredible awards. Mookie Alexander, Managing Editor at Field Goals, is joining me to announce the winners. And and Mookie, I see you holding up one of the trophies right now. It's beautiful. It looks heavy, too. Yeah, it's no less than 40 pounds. I'll tell you what, the designers of this trophy, the gullies, I feel like we're better than the Oscars already. It's uh, it's an incredible award to receive, and I can imagine the players just around the Seahawks. They're they're tuning into this podcast, waiting to hear their name called. And uh, I don't know if they just need to send a Twitter DM to Field Goals to to make sure that they can collect their award. But uh, you know, what, just looking at it, and I know you can't see it because it's a podcast and you're listening to it, but you just have to trust us that the, these are incredible. Yeah, they're absolutely incredible. I just feel a little bit bad because Russell Wilson has never gotten a vote for league MVP. And then I disqualified him from offensive player of the year, knowing he would win it in a landslide. <laughs> if if Russell Wilson, let's just go ahead, get it out of the way right now. Seahawks team MVP, number one, 100% of the vote is Russell Wilson. Russell, email in or DM uh, the field goals account. You can come on the show. You have to come on the podcast and accept your award and it will be in the mail to you. And it'll it'll absolutely overwrite any of those MVP votes you didn't get this past season that you overwhelmingly deserved uh, league-wide. But uh, this can be maybe the consolation prize. It, it would look beautiful up on the mantle at Russell Wilson's home. Yeah, I mean, Go Hawks is already engraved into the trophy, so he doesn't even need to say anything in his speech. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Well, we do have other awards to give away besides Seahawks team MVP. There is the non-Russell Wilson Offensive Player of the Year for the Seahawks. We also have Rookie of the Year, Most Improved Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, the Special Teams Play of the Year, as well as Offensive and Defensive Plays of the Year, and then the Win of the Year, which may be just one of the most coveted awards of the night. So why don't we get started with it, Mookie, and go right into the Most Improved Player of the Year. The uh, bottom votes went to Trey Flowers and Puna Ford. Trey Flowers, I, I see they got he got some votes. Obviously, his passer rating allowed was actually better in year two compared to year one. It was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit surprised to see him uh, among these because it felt like he had kind of a down year. But it was it was nice that uh, he had one statistical increase over this last year. He also had some uh, a nice interception that I know we'll get into later. And then Puna Ford, just the increase in uh, his role last season compared to this season deserved his spot as uh, as the most improved player. So let's go on to to some of the other players on this list. Yeah, we've got uh, Rashad Penny, who unfortunately, it looked like he was going to be a major part of this offense through the final few weeks of the season. And then he has the the ACL tear, another structural damage to his knee. Um, really, it looked like he was in the doghouse for a bit. And then from like mid-November on, he, he was just a big spark rather for the Seahawks running game. Then you have Rasheem Green, a uh, second-year player out of UFC, USC, rather. And 
if anybody thought that Rasheem Green would finish 2019 as the Seahawks leader in sacks, I mean, it's four sacks, but, you know, still a big deal. Yes. Uh, he, he had not just value on defense. He had some value on special teams, too, which we'll get to a little bit later. But Rashad and Rasheem have to take runner-up status to the most improved player of the year, as voted on by the field goals community, Shaquille Griffin. And look, Shaquille had a very promising rookie year. Second year, not so much. He, he obviously had some injury issues, weight gain, and they, they cleaned all of that up. That was also his first year at, at left cornerback. So year three, he gets into the Pro Bowl for the first time. He got in as an alternate, I know, but still, this was by far his best season. The only thing it lacked was an interception, and he did have an interception against the 49ers, but a, a very bad holding penalty on Jamar Taylor took it away. But I personally voted for Rasheem Green, but Shaquille Griffin, I have no issue with him winning. He really had, had a sparkling year uh, relative to the rest of the Seahawks defense, and he looks like somebody who should be in Seattle's plans uh, for the long term. I know. I, I really like how we tried to edge the voters toward a particular category by listing the field goal staff choice on each one. But uh, the voters, they overcame this one and voted in Shaquille Griffin as the winner. He had 40% of the votes at fieldgoals.com. And yeah, a, a big improvement over last year. Now, you know, uh, Trey Flowers kind of, I, I hope that in a way that we're talking about Shaquille Griffin in his third year, we're also talking about Trey Flowers coming back in his third year, because even though he was on this list, it, it did feel like a little bit more of a down year for Flowers, and he has a lot of room for improvement next year as well. Yeah, and the reason why I did the gullies a couple of weeks, you know, more than a couple of weeks after the season ended is I don't want any, like, heat of the moment votes like straight after the Seahawks season ended. So I gave it some time, gave it, gave us some time to celebrate the 49ers losing the Super Bowl <laughs> so that we could have a better overall view of our own season. And certainly with Flowers, much like Shaquille Griffin in year two, Shaquille's playoff game against Dallas was not good. So for Flowers, he had two pretty poor playoff games against the Eagles and especially against the Packers, but it's a tall task trying to cover Devontae Adams. So yeah, you're right. If Flowers can make that year three improvement, uh, much in the same way that Shaquille did, then hopefully, along with an improved pass rush, we'll be seeing a much better Seahawks defense. Moving on to Rookie of the Year, the bottom four, Cody Barton, Ugo Amadi, Marquise Blair, Travis Homer, those four players, you know, particularly, uh, well, out of those four, you know, three of them primarily on special teams. Cody Barton also contributing on special teams, but he probably played the most regular season snaps, uh, especially after Michael Kendricks went down. Cody Barton steps in, so he had uh, a big contribution among the rookies. Uh, but all all four of those guys getting a relatively small amount of the votes. And that's because, you know, at the top of this rookie of the year ticket, we had two big wide receivers that uh, that really ran away with this uh, uh, with this vote. Yeah, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, John Ursua, one catch, uh, what was it, 11 yards? He almost scored a touchdown. Almost. Uh, the, the facts are undeniable at this point. He was inches away from giving the Seahawks the NFC West, and who knows how the playoff race would have changed after that. Russell Wilson has never thrown an incomplete pass John Ursua's way, so I can understand all the votes that went to Ursua. But running away with Rookie of the Year. And of course, the only reason why I didn't do a non-DK Metcalf Rookie of the Year is just to see which one of you trolls would vote Orsua. And <laughs> quite quite a few of you actually did. But DK Metcalf, the obvious Rookie of the Year. And you know that it was not a good rookie season when I didn't have LJ Collier 
in uh, as a voting option. Yeah. You know what? That might have been better. It just that way he's uh, he has a clean slate to start from next year. You can add him to that most improved player in, in the next season. Yeah, well, so he's got a lot to improve or else uh, he won't be part of the, the, the gullies or anything related to the Seahawks when he gets to year three. But yeah, I, I also left off, uh, I think, Ben Verkirvin, but it's mostly because he only played on special teams. Whereas everybody else uh, I listed, Blair Amati, Homer Barton, and Ursua, they had a, a, a reasonable amount of, of snaps on offense or defense. Now, in Ursua's case, he barely played. Right. But because he got on the stat sheet and was so close to winning the NFC West for Seattle, I had to put him in there because we know it's only a matter of time before before Ursua just really takes off as Seattle's next superstar. And, you know, 100% completion rate? Who on the team can say that? I, I don't think yeah. really anybody other than John Ursua. No, yeah, I mean, Ursua was the preseason hero. And, and as far as I'm concerned, he's already exceeded the expectations that we previously had for Jazz Ferguson and Cason Williams. Like, this is much more tangible <laughs> progress. And A, that he made the team. And B, that he got on the stat sheet. DK Metcalf, an incredible rookie season. It definitely deserved the award. See, it would have been a shame, too, for DK Metcalf to not have the opportunity to tweet at the Field Goals Twitter account and, and get in and get his award. So uh, congratulations, DK Metcalf. Outstanding rookie season with the Seahawks. Got robbed for Rookie of the Year nationally. Kyler Murray, I think, is the one who got it. And uh, really, it should have gone to DK. I tell you what, I can't believe he didn't get a vote. He freaking... Uh, Miles Sanders got a vote, and that is beyond my comprehension. Oh. <laughs> I mean, he didn't get a vote. I don't think AJ Brown, or sorry, I think Terry McLaurin didn't get a vote either. Yeah. So they, they were just Kyler Murray winning it was kind of a surprise, but they're just biased towards quarterbacks these days. But DK Metcalf, rookie of the year, and uh, it's amazing that he overcame that painfully slow three cone drill to have immediate <laughs> success in the NFL. I mean, that's a big hurdle to overcome in the NFL. When you go into the season with that hanging over your head, uh, and, to, and to overcome that, I, I think that almost deserves its own category. Yeah, I, I mean, you got the NFL Combine going on right now. When all these receivers are doing their three-cone drills, I've got my popcorn ready just seeing <laughs> which ones. Like, if they fail, then I'm not sure that not everybody is made like DK Metcalf. No, it, that it's a lot to bounce back from. And, you know, much like Joe Burrow overcoming his small hands and having an amazing tweet out, that uh, he's considering retirement over his his hand length. I'm sure DK, he, you know, he was thinking to himself, I know he didn't uh, tweet out any response, but uh, I, I'm sure he was thinking long and hard about his time in the NFL after after that disappointing combine performance. Well, he didn't have time to tweet out a response because he was still completing the drill. <laughs> Moving on, the non-Russell Wilson Offensive Player of the Year, the runner-up award to the team MVP award that uh, already went to Russell Wilson filling out the bottom of this list. Will Disley, Jacob Hollister, the two tight ends that uh, combined for a pretty decent season. Jacob Hollister, he had a game winning catch in the Tampa Bay game. Will Disley had four touchdowns and was on his way to a really nice season as a tight end before getting injured. They make the list. Uh, who's our top three? Yeah, our top three, we've got DK Metcalf also in there, not just Rookie of the Year, he, he was a legitimate candidate for non-Russell Wilson Offensive Player of the Year with 58 catches, 900 yards, I think seven touchdowns. And I did we, we did include postseason stats because it's utterly stupid uh, to, to discount postseason if it's a completely separate sport. It's all-encompassing whether we make the postseason or not. And no doubt he had a phenomenal playoff game against the Philadelphia Eagles that boosted his chances of winning this award. 
but he came in third place. Chris Carson uh, was second place, and we know what happened to Carson with the cracked hip that ended the season in Week 16. He got off to a slow start, both in terms of just running the ball and also the fumbles, and the fumbles just persisted throughout the year. But nevertheless, he had career high in rushing yards. He was uh, more valuable as receiving back this year than he was last season. So for Carson, definitely the team's number one running back. But number one, and a pretty clear number one, is Tyler Lockett. This was his first year as Seattle's undisputed number one receiver. He had to essentially take over the role that Doug Baldwin had. And after a historically efficient 2018 season, in which he was the number two receiver for the most part, number one receiver, he still has a 74.5% catch rate, 82 catches, 1,057 yards, eight touchdowns all in the regular season. He also had uh, a big postseason game against the Green Bay Packers. All career highs uh, in terms of receiving and, and yard, receptions and yards, but not a career high for touchdowns. But yes, you can you you have to be hyped for for Tyler Lockett and how he performed in 2019. If you thought there would be a letdown year, you were wrong. Over a thousand yards, and yeah, the 82 catches. If he doesn't go down to injury uh, toward the middle point of the season, you know he probably gets to that hundred catch mark because you know. You go back and, and think to when he went down late in that game against San Francisco. They didn't have him for that overtime win in San Fran. And then he was out for a couple of weeks. It really took him until after the bye to kind of really recover. And even as he was coming back, you know, he, he had a couple of games with just a few catches. And so to f- still finish the year with 82 catches over a thousand yards, uh, especially filling in, trying to fill the shoes of Doug Baldwin leaving last season. We had the idea that he could be the number one for this team, and, and we really saw it this year. Yeah, it's good that you mentioned the injuries suffered at San Francisco because after that, well, he also had the flu, I believe. So yeah. one catch against Philadelphia, no catches at all against Minnesota. He had four catches against the Rams, but didn't really make a meaningful impact. Had a big day against Carolina, then just one catch against Arizona, but the whole offense was broken that day. And then he started to get going from the Niners' rematch onwards six catches and a touchdown at San, against San Francisco four for 62 against Philadelphia and then the, the nine for 136 yards and a touchdown against Green Bay so yes Lockett and Metcalf safe to say that those are your top two receivers going forward and you have every reason to be excited about this combo being one of the top uh, receiving duos in the NFL especially if Wilson continues to play at an MVP level Moving on to Defensive Player of the Year. A lot of competition at this spot. There were six players overall. The bottom three filling it out. Bradley McDougal, K.J. Wright, Shaquille Griffin. Bradley had a couple picks and passes defensed. He really turned it on, I feel like, once Diggs was on this team. And uh, I, I think maybe there was just too much that he had to try and overcome earlier on in this year with a lot of younger talent around him. K.J. Wright had three interceptions on the season, a game-sealing interception against the Browns we'll talk about a little bit later on, and Shaquille Griffin, who we mentioned before, the most improved player, rounding out the the bottom three vote-getters on this list. Let's move on to the final three, Moki. Yeah, the, the final three, the field goal staff chose Jadavion Clowney as the defensive player of the year, but he's not the winner, actually. Now, he had three sacks, he had... A, A lot of pressures generated. He had a pick six against the Cardinals, a fumble return touchdown against the 49ers. In fact, that that game against the 49ers, the first one that they played, uh, that was one of the best individual performances that we had seen 
from any Seahawk uh, this season. In fact, that's going to be a new category when I do this next year, uh, in the best individual performance mm. of the year. So it can just be whether Wilson's five-touchdown pass game or Metcalf's game against the Eagles. Clowney's game against the 49ers has to be very much up there. But four forced fumbles for Clowney, 13 quarterback hits, and he was playing through injury. So it, it depends. Did he live up to the hype? Probably not, but that doesn't mean he was ineffective. Uh, then you have Quandre Diggs, midseason acquisition by John Schneider, uh, just fleecing the Detroit Lions out of sheer boredom. And look, Seattle's secondary, John Schneider already said it at the combine, he, he was not totally, he was not satisfied with the, the performance of the secondary. And we knew that because they wouldn't have traded for Diggs if not for that. And the struggles of Tedrick Thompson and Lano Hill uh, really are, are are glaring when you see how well Diggs fit into this defense. Mm-hmm. Immediate impact. He got a pick in his debut against San Francisco. He had a pick six against the Rams, and that was the only touchdown they had in that game. And uh, he also had a forced fumble, fumble recovery. He had some big hits that made him look like he, he was part of the old Legion of Boom. Uh, so for somebody to have only played a handful of games like Diggs, he missed a few due to injury, and to get come in at second place, that's quite impressive. Uh, but number one is our future Hall of Famer, Bobby Wagner. Led the NFL in tackles. He had seven tackles for a loss. He had three sacks, forced fumble, fumble recovery. He also had a, a nifty interception against the Carolina Panthers. Now, it's interesting. I'm kind of surprised he won it, but this was not... It didn't feel, at least to me, like this was Wagner's best year. Mm-hmm. But he's also set such a high standard for himself. And, of course, the, the, the way this defense ended up playing out with such heavy reliance on base uh, defense instead of having an actual nickel corner out there, it, it created more responsibility for Wagner and the rest of the linebackers. But it's very clear that he is one of the top middle linebackers in the league, and he just shows it year in and year out. I'm not going to say it's a surprise that Bobby won, because like you mentioned, he did lead the NFL in tackles with nearly 160 tackles. But uh, I am going to say that to all the field goals, readers and the listeners of this podcast who did not vote for Jadevian Clowney, if he ends up going to another team and uh, and not re-signing with the Seahawks, this the loss of Clowney will be on your hands. Yeah, the disrespect has been noted. Yeah, that's that's a little bit disappointing. I, I hate to disappoint a you know future Seahawks Hall of Famer if he decides to stay with the team, but if he goes elsewhere, this is this is really where I point the the turnaround of uh, of his career. Yeah, certainly so. And in fact, I think Clowney had the early lead in voting, and then there's a late surge for mm. for Wagner, and a very much a late surge for Dix. Clowney was at, in first, and then he dipped to second, and then all of a sudden he's he's not even in the top two. So you you have the Wagner, Diggs, Clowney, one, two, three, and Shaquille Griffin finished fourth. And I I have to think that even though he had a lot of pass breakups, if he had gotten a few interceptions this year, he would have gotten more, uh, a greater percentage of the vote. I don't know about you, but Bobby Wagner strikes me as the type of competitor who would maybe hire like a Russian bot farm to go into the site. And I don't know if you filtered out any Russian bots that were voting uh, for for these picks, but if they were, I they that might have led to Wagner getting the win over Clowney. Yeah, that this is a good point. We have been banning a lot of spam accounts on field goals mm-hmm. lately, so it really makes you think. Well, we'll think about that if we want to go back and award the win to Clowney. We can do that if we choose to. We'll think about it over the break and come back and close out with the rest of the awards. It is that special time of the year when we are giving away the gullies. 
and here to do it, managing editor of Field Goals, Mookie Alexander. We're going through the list and we've gotten through the players. And now we get to some of the individual plays of the year, as well as the win of the year for the team. And let's start things off with the special teams play of the year. Special teams is a part of uh, you know, some people say that it's a third of the game. Uh, if you're the Seahawks special teams coordinator, I think you uh, you say that it's a whole lot more. I think uh, he said there were six phases and special teams, I think, makes up a majority of those. So, uh, you know, if you're a special teams guy, you really like this category and we'll go with the bottom two. David Moore with his blocked punt against the Browns. You know, this came at a point where the Seahawks were down 20 to nine on the road against Cleveland. His block punt helped turn around the game. There was also a blocked field goal by Rasheem Green and uh, Marquise Blair returned for nearly returned it for a touchdown against the Cardinals in that week 16 game after they were down 20 to seven in the third quarter. If Blair returns that for a touchdown and uh, and they get within six points, you wonder how much differently that game could have gone. But uh, ultimately, the Seahawks lose that game uh, 27 to 13. And uh, but we do have two others competing for that top spot yeah certainly not a, a not a lot of great special teams plays that we can point to because the return game just once again struggled but we did have some special teams highlights uh jason myers much maligned after the poor showing against the tampa bay buccaneers missing uh, an extra point and two field goals one of them a game winner but he missed no kicks at san francisco and he got the game winner uh, essentially twice over well overall he had the go-ahead field goal in regulation before the niners tied it up he got what looked to have been the game winner in overtime, but the Niners tried to do the ice, the kicker nonsense. And then ice in his veins, ice water in his veins. He gets the game winner on the second attempt, just was able to get inside the right uprights for Seattle's thrilling win over the 49ers. So that's your runner up. But the runaway winner for special teams play of the year was the fake punt uh on fourth down, of course. Of course, there's going to be a fourth down play if it's a punt. But yes, against the Minnesota Vikings, Travis Homer on the direct snap against the Vikings, a big rush down the sideline. And unfortunately, Seattle didn't score on this because Metcalf fumbled a few plays later. But that was uh, the return of, uh, how do we say it? Big balls, Pete. Yeah, <laughs> he entered the chat and he decided, I'm not going to let my defense go back out there after three and outs. I'm going to go for for the jugular here and run a trick play with Homer and it worked to perfection and tell you what when Seattle does do fake punts more often than not they're pretty creative yes over 60 percent of field goals uh visitors coming in with a vote on this one and you know you bring up a, an interesting point for the trophy on this one do we give it to Travis Homer or do we give it to Pete Carroll's gigantic balls yeah I, you, you still got to actually execute properly so I think it goes to Travis Homer but you know, Pete Carroll can take a part of that trophy if, if possible. He can, I don't know if he can split it in half. It'd be very expensive to do so. Um, but yeah, maybe they can share it. <laughs> Carroll for the call and then Homer for the for the brilliant execution. Because look, I could give it to the long snapper too. He could have botched the snap, but uh, Homer did most of the work. That's true. That was an outstanding snap too. And you can even give a little bit of credit to Michael Dixon for doing the the fake as if it's a uh, uh, it was an errant snap going in the other direction. So a lot of people contributed to this, but uh, ultimately, maybe maybe it is Travis Homer's award to to take. It was his first carry on the season and uh, just a, a really nice play. And one of those plays where, yeah, they actually went for it on fourth and short and a big play. You mentioned the fact that they didn't score on this, but 
it came at a time where the Vikings, you know, they made a run at the end of this game and they were only down 10 points in this position. This allows them to run a little bit more time off the clock. And uh, who knows how it would have worked out if ultimately they, they punt that away and maybe the Vikings have a little bit shorter field to work off of and a little bit more time on the clock and uh, and maybe they are able to get that win. Yeah, I mean, this on, on a if the results were different and Metcalf didn't fumble and they end up draining more time off the clock, another way to look at it is Seattle would actually had a comfortable win over the Vikings. But uh, in 2019, that was never the goal. Comfortable wins were thrown out the window. Uh, you know, you can't have that. You have to give the entire fan base reason to panic and be worried and sweating out the the final few minutes of a game. But in the meantime, they do entertain and that that fake punt. Uh, run was a thing of beauty. It still doesn't hold a candle to Michael Dixon just going rogue and actually running that that punt out of the end zone for a first down against Detroit. I think that might get a Gully's Lifetime Achievement Award. That that uh, that is true. We we may have to put that up next year as as the Lifetime Achievement Award for a special teams play of uh, of the Pete Carroll tenure, maybe. Yeah, yeah, we should. And by the way, uh, Alistair was in in sense that, you know, I know he wanted Nico Thorpe to win some sort of war for special teams or just be the outright MVP. Uh, but, uh, you know, cooler has prevailed and he did not win. <laughs> That's too bad. It's a shame. I, I do like Nico Thorpe, though. Yes, I, I hope he gets I hope he gets resigned because, you know, he, he's been a great special teams gunner over the years. And but you know what? Ugo Amadi certainly did a very good job filling in for him while he was out injured. Absolutely. So let's move on to the offensive play of the year and a lot of candidates here. You have Russell Wilson's 53-yard touchdown pass to DK Metcalf versus the Buccaneers. This came late in the fourth quarter. It was a go-ahead touchdown. Ultimately, the game went to overtime, but you had Metcalf crossing over the field and just turning on the Jets and leaving the Bucks defender in the dust. You had Russell Wilson to Malik Turner, a, a trick play touchdown against the Eagles. One of the great things, and I'm, I'm I'm really upset that this didn't get more votes because the the execution on this play was incredible because, one, you had George Fant going in motion, which is just something I love. Uh, you had Russ handing the ball off to Carson, pitches it back to the quarterback, and Russell goes deep to Malik Turner, who catches it between two defenders. And on top of that, in Philadelphia, it was a windy day. And so just for him to be on target with the, that pass was incredible. And then you had another play against the Eagles, Rashad Penny's 58-yard touchdown run. And those were the bottom three plays. So I, I can't even imagine among these top three how difficult it was for people to choose. Yeah, it, it was. We were spoiled for choice in terms of, of offensive plays of the year. I, I'm surprised that we only came up with six. Uh, but that was just so we wouldn't have the longest you know set of polling results possible. But <laughs> Uh, third place is Marshawn Lynch's touchdown in his return, unexpected return. He came back against the 49ers and was able to leap into the end zone from a yard out. He would have had a touchdown on the play prior, but he got held. It was going to be a play action pass to him, but uh, I, I can't remember which 49ers player held him. Uh, but, you know, it, we know Marshawn Lynch for his touchdown runs, not his touchdown catches. And the roar of that crowd when he did score, I mean, it was a, just incredible to listen to. A shame that it couldn't have ended in a win, but it was just glad, it was just great to see Beast Mode back in the end zone. Uh, then you had DK Metcalf's playoff touchdown against the Eagles. Now, of course, the first time he played Philadelphia, he had a, a drop touchdown. And even though Seattle won that game relatively comfortably, uh, it could have been a lot more if Metcalf was able to hang on there. But he just went gangbusters on Philadelphia with that big uh, playoff debut. And to 
be open deep down the field, get down. You know, he had to dive to make the catch. He gets back up. Nobody touched him, and he was able to reach across uh, for the score that ended up being Seattle's last touchdown of the game. It was uh, another impressive play out of an impressive season for Metcalf, but the number one offensive play of the year. And look, I, I think we can all agree on this. Uh, it, well, obviously we didn't. It would have been 100% of the vote, but still, we can all agree that this play was awesome. Russell Wilson's touchdown pass to Tyler Lockett against the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Lockett with the incredible toe-tapping catch, but the precision on that throw by Wilson. He actually had time to throw, and then that time inevitably ran out, and then he's able to find Lockett on the run. Everybody who who watched that live, at least on television, probably thought that was a throwaway, but when Wilson and Lockett are in the scramble drill, I don't think we should ever assume it's a throwaway anymore because Lockett can catch just about anything that's in the vicinity uh, when Wilson throws it to him, and Seattle got the big win over the Rams, and that touchdown is... To me, the deserved winner, uh, field goals certainly uh, had a consensus agreement that this was the offensive play of the year. I mean, when Russell goes into the Hall of Fame, this is going to be one of the plays that they show. And I can't even say that uh, it was it. There's the argument of whether or not it was a better throw or a better catch. And I, I think you have to come down and, and say both. But gosh, Lockett getting both feet in bounds was incredible. The throw was incredible just because it was in the perfect spot. Nobody else could get it rolling to his right. If if this play isn't on here, then I think we really do have a, a tough competition as to who gets first place. But easily with this on the ballot. Yeah, it was uh, an, an incredible play. And like I said, it, this one will be uh, a highlight real play, much like the the play where Russell Wilson does the double pirouettes and dumps it off to Doug Baldwin. Uh, this, it's uh, We're going to watch this one for a while. Yeah, we definitely will. And look, you know it's a great play when Amazon uses that commercial, uses that play in its commercial for, for highlighting its catch probability. Yes. Thing. They got to they gotta adjust that system because the catch probability when it's Wilson and Lockett should be tweaked to be much higher than <laughs> mere mortals. Absolutely. Yeah, they need to work that out. So... Offensive play of the year goes to Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. Let's go to the defensive play of the year. Rounding out the bottom three, he got Trey Flowers, who had just an incredible interception against the Vikings going up against Stephon Diggs. Looks like it's just going to be a pass breakup. He reaches in with one hand and floats just enough that he's able to catch it before it hits the ground. Uh, you got Shaquille Griffin with uh, uh, just laying out, breaking up the pass in overtime against the 49ers. It helped the Seahawks get the ball back, ultimately get the win. A lot of criticism going to Kyle Shanahan for not running and going for the tie. And then you have Tedrick Thompson's remarkable interception versus the Rams, just fingertips with his hands on the ground, able to corral it in. A, a, a lot of great plays on this. What do you have for the top three, Mookie? Well, I just looked at this poll and noticed that it didn't have the Flowers interception as one of the options, but it should have, you know, the fact that nobody even pointed out in the comments tells me this had no chance of winning. But hey, that was a great play by Flowers. Uh, but what else do we have? So you, you mentioned the, the diving pass breakup from Shaquille Griffin against the, the 49ers, and really it's an underrated play. It actually got more votes than I thought. He had the, the cloudy pick six against the Cardinals. You had Tedrick Thompson's diving play against the Rams, and really as much as we complain about Tedrick Thompson and rightfully so given uh, his, his struggles since he's been part of the Seattle defense, that was a heck of a catch. And it was a heads up play that if Earl Thomas made that play, we would be bowing down to, to bowing down at Earl's greatness. 
So for one night only, Tedrick Thompson turned into Earl Thomas. And then you also had the Jadavion Clowney scoop and score against the San Francisco 49ers. I think Jaron Reed forced the sack on Jimmy Garoppolo, and then Clowney was able to pick it up and run it in for a, a big touchdown just before halftime. And, and look, the Seahawks offense was doing close to nothing. So that was a really big play. And I'm not going to say change the momentum, but it certainly gave Seattle that spark they needed to get back into things after that 10 nothing hole. Uh, but the number one defensive play of the year, and it is from a playoff game. All these others, uh, other results have been from the regular season. The Shaquille Griffin, Shaquem Griffin combination teaming up to sack Aaron Rodgers uh, in the loss against the Green Bay Packers. Now, the fact that this ended in defeat, it feels secondary because just watching Shaquem Griffin get his first career sack and his twin brother is there with him on the blitz to to take down Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the, the emotions are running high just to see that moment actually happening on the field. I mean, you couldn't write that in a Hollywood movie for, for that to happen. Imagine if Seattle had actually won and you could say that the Griffin twins getting that sack was, was the turning point of the game. I know, and I had a hard time when I saw the percentages on this, that why was this not higher with only 38% of the vote? I, I thought that uh, just the emotions of this moment, and yeah, okay, I, maybe there's some emotion that goes into that Tedrick Thompson remarkable interception because he's on the ground, and it's probably Tedrick Thompson's best play during his time as a member of the Seahawks. Uh, if you add up Jadevian Clowney's percentages. He even gets above the Griffin Twins sack. So maybe splitting the vote between two Jadevian Clowney plays, it allowed the Griffin Twins to get the win. But to me, this was the overwhelming choice because of the emotions, because of the fact Shaquem Griffin's very first sack of his career and there to share it with his brother right there. Gosh, yeah. If they get the win against the Packers, I think that play gets you probably see that replayed over and over if the Seahawks come back to win after that moment. But uh, even still, even in the loss, uh, incredible play and incredible moment. Yeah, it was. And it, we, we already brought up the, the time and score. Seattle was mounting a furious comeback and the defense was just not getting third down stops. And then here come the Griffin twins getting that stop that Seattle desperately needed. Unfortunately, the offense could not take advantage. But, you know, what also made the sack extra special in addition to the fact that it's the Griffin twins they don't blitz Shaquille Griffin very often. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they very rarely do that. We've seen Shaquille on these these twists and stunts more often as, as the season progressed, and they trusted him more uh, in that pass-rushing role. But that was so well-timed and so well-executed in, in ways that most other Seahawks blitzes hadn't been all year. So if we can get more of that, that this should be a regular thing. There should be a T-shirt designed just for the, the Griffin twin sack of Aaron Rodgers. Well, it comes down to this, the win of the year for the Seahawks. They had a lot of wins. They had a lot of close wins. So that made uh, it very interesting in this category. Let's go with the bottom four vote getters before I hand it over to you, Mookie. And, and like you left off the Trey Flowers interception against the Vikings, you also left out the win over the Minnesota Vikings, but nobody noticed. People, you know, they just don't care about the Vikings. So uh, you had the 37 to 30 win over the Vikings on Monday night. You had the 27 to 10 victory at the Arizona Cardinals. And this, the reason why this was so monumental is, uh, and it's pointed out in the article, nothing weird happened. There weren't any bad injuries. There weren't any missed field goals, no missed extra points, and nobody got hurt. It was totally drama free. So it was, uh, it was an incredible monumental win in those regards, despite it also being the one blowout victory for the Seahawks this year. 
You had the 32 to 28 win over the Cleveland Browns after the Browns got out to a 20 to six lead. Russell Wilson peak MVP form. The defense forced Baker Mayfield into multiple turnovers, and you had the game-sealing interception by K.J. Wright in the fourth quarter. The Tampa Bay win, and I'm surprised that this one got so few votes because it was an overtime victory. It was a shootout. It was a win over stupid Bruce Arians, who always seems to come to Seattle and find a way to win, now coaching with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He nearly got it after Tampa Bay got out to a 21-7 lead, but ultimately it was a game-winning touchdown to Jacob Hollister, and we mentioned the Metcalf touchdown earlier in the episode, one of the top offensive plays. So that brings us down to the final two, Mookie, and it's two games against two division rivals in the NFC West. Yes, and in fact, this was a co-choice. The field goal staff was split on this. You had the 30-29 to win over the Los Angeles Rams, Thursday night football, and of course, we know what happened the previous three meetings against Sean McVay's team. You had the, the game that we shall not speak of in 2017, and then two very competitive but ultimately uh, close losses uh, to Los Angeles that helped get Los Angeles uh, the, the NFC West title. But you had the chance on national TV after, you know, with the Rams reeling, they're coming off a, a couple of defeats themselves. The Seahawks get off to a slow start, as usual, uh, but, you know, they, they bounce back, and then they take the lead with the touchdown to Chris Carson on fourth and goal, and Carson giving us all a heart and mouth moment with the with the initial drop and then able to to catch it on the second uh, bounce. You had the Tedrick interception that should have put the game away. They go three and out instead. And then it looks like all hope is lost because Greg Zerline is normally a very reliable kicker. 40-something yards out, that's makeable. And instead, it goes just narrowly wide to the right. And big celebrations, that's one of the loudest uh ovations and, and loudest cheers we've heard from the CenturyLink field crowd all season. And what made it extra special was that this was the night that Paul Allen was posthumously inducted into the Seahawks Ring of Honor. So that really was a win for, for Paul Allen. And in the grand scheme of things, it kept the Rams out of the playoffs. And it is one of the reasons that Seattle even got a wild card spot, because if they had lost this game, and we assume everything else plays out the way that it did, the Rams would have been in the playoffs over Seattle on the tiebreaker. But as good as that win was, the runaway winner, the 27-24 overtime thriller on Monday Night Football at the San Francisco 49ers, which, again, if we look at a big picture, this didn't really affect anything after all. San Francisco still got the one seed. They still went to the Super Bowl. But in that moment, San Francisco was the last unbeaten team in the league. They were down 10 nothing right away. Then Clowney gets the, uh, the scoop and score. They rattle off 21 answer. They're up 21-10, and we're thinking, all right, this is going to be a comfortable win. But nope, that's the 2019 Seahawks. So you get the, the weird fumble return touchdown. They tie the score up eventually. They trade field goals at the end. You had the dropped interceptions by Wright and Wagner. So it looked like th this was unraveling in a hurry. You think that they're going to win it in overtime on the first possession, and instead you get the Dre Greenlaw interception. And little did we know that Dre Greenlaw would make a much bigger play against Seattle in the rematch. But Chase McLaughlin filling in for Robbie Gold, the only missed kick that he had before getting cut is that horrible shank that was so wide to the left, it actually landed in the tunnel. Uh, so they gave Seattle another chance, and they eventually took advantage and got the win on the last kick of the game, the last play of the game. Time expired. If he had missed it, we would have had a 24-24 tie. But to beat San Francisco the way they did 
to gut out that win despite four turnovers. Yeah, I, I'm I'm cool with that being the the comfortable Seahawks win of the year because it's San Francisco, man. And now the rivalry is back. This game, to me, and I guess for San Francisco fans just winning the NFC West in Seattle, this was the year that the Seahawks 49ers rivalry was officially back on. It did feel that way. And to get the win in San Francisco after losing in overtime the year before, it felt that much better. I think that win, it, it feels even much more of a big deal in terms of how it plays out if the Seahawks get that Week 17 win as well, because then they have the tiebreaker. They end up getting a home game. They win the NFC West title uh, if they also win that Week 17 game over the 49ers. So it, it could have been a much bigger deal as far as it went. But yeah, Jason Myers getting the game-winning field goal with just four seconds left. That scoop and score play that was such a big part of uh, of turning things around for the Seahawks. It really felt like, thinking back to that game, even though they were down 10 points, it felt like the way the offense was playing in that game that they were the better team on that day, and they just happened to be down 10 points, but ultimately able to turn things around like they seem to do all throughout the season. And yeah, if not for that... Uh, the backup kicker just driving the the football into the tunnel. Uh, maybe that turns out a little bit differently. Both of these top two games were ultimately decided by missed field goals. Yeah, and Seattle certainly benefited from a lot of missed field goals this season, but we'll take it, man. I mean, that's the difference between us talking about the playoffs and talking about the offseason and, and whatever plans we have for picking in the top 20. We'll look at it this way. If you believe in this, the butterfly effect uh, theory, if these field goals had not gone, it, it, it had not gone Seattle's way, they both split the uprights. Then the Shaquille Griffin, Shaquem Griffin sack of Aaron Rodgers never happens. Right. So that's another way of looking at it. And look, this, the first San Francisco game was so well played. It it was back and forth. Look, the the ending of the Seahawks 49ers game for the NFC West title was incredibly dramatic from a neutral point of view and heartbreaking for us. But San Francisco had the lead from start to finish. Yeah. In this game, San Francisco had a 10-point lead. Seattle had an 11-point lead. And then they, they go back and forth. Niners tie the game. Seattle takes the lead. Niners tie it right back, and Seattle wins right at the buzzer. And I know there were seven turnovers, but it was great defense. It was the best defensive performance, I think, from Seattle all season outside of the, the first quarter. And the offense didn't play great, but they made some timely plays when it mattered most, and they overcame those mistakes uh, whether it was the penny fumble or Wilson throwing the interception or getting strip sacked, it, it was uh, thrill a minute stuff. And I think it's, it was clearly one of the best games of the year overall in the entire league. And it, it this game in particular, more than the Rams game, summed up the 2019 Seahawks season. Just a roller coaster ride. <laughs> it was a roller coaster of a game, roller coaster of a season. And it was uh, just nice to go back and kind of relive some of the biggest moments of the season, Mookie. So thanks for coming on and doing that. And gosh, you know, I hope Russell Wilson tweets in to you because I know you don't want, I mean, these you got eight trophies that are just stacked up now in your storage room at home. And, and I think they're taking up a lot of space. So we're going to need some of these players to tweet in, tweet at you so we can get some of these awards sent off. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm going to get injured lifting these trophies, so they, they, they're going to have to come over and, and you know, and, and Paul, pick it up it's and a stuff. it's a U-Haul type situation. Yeah, this this is a U-Haul. It's going to be. I, I don't. This is too heavy for drones to just drop in into their houses. So, but but yes, the the gullies. I think were a huge success for 
for recapping this season. And we're going to be doing this for future seasons, I would imagine. Be sure and go to fieldgoals.com. Click on the article. Leave some comments in the comments section about how you felt the awards turned out. If there's any plays that were missed, if there's any disappointments, if you if you felt as though if the, the choices were obvious, go and comment there, fieldgoals.com. Subscribe to the podcast, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. And Mookie, let's get on out of here. Until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks.